Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. My name is Gareth and I'm here with Alan. Hello! And we are going to give you a bonus episode today. We talked about Peak Red Dwarf in our recent series. We talked about series three to six. And whilst we were watching those, we became aware that those good people at Red Dwarf had tried to break America. And there were a couple of attempt an American pilot. So we watched those pilots and now we are going to talk about them for your entertainment. Yes, so basically in the early 90s when Red Dwarf was at its peak, someone over in America said, ah, this this will work. This is a great concept, but we don't want those limeys in it. Let's recast it. And so they came up with <laughs> uh with uh, something to do. And the guy who made it actually the guy, the, the producer who, who they kind of got involved, he, he hmm. went on to make Malcolm in the Middle. So, you know, he has oh, a, okay. some success. You know, that was a big, big hit. But this, this was the first attempt in, in 1992, this all happened. Okay. 1992. So it was right the peak of Red Dwarf, like Series 5 era, yeah. that, that kind of period. Yeah, during the time that we were, we've just been talking about in our episode. And for some reason, and, and nobody can seem to fathom why, including Robert Llewellyn, but they chose to take on Robert Llewellyn as a cast yeah. member playing Crichton. Yeah, very weird that. So it's an all-American cast. Well, no, it's, a, it's an all, shall we say, it's an American-based cast because Daphne yeah. off of Frasier plays Holly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so, you know, she, that actor, Jane Leaves, is British, but she's, you know, American-based. But, yeah, Robert Llewellyn turns up. Crichton, well, first of all, Crichton turns up because the, the pilot is the fall of Red Dwarf. So it's series one, episode one of Red Dwarf, where mm. we see the crew and we see Lister going to stasis for bringing the cat on board and, you know, the the, the ship is destroyed, etc., etc. Et but Crichton's there. Crichton shouldn't be there yet. So that felt wrong. And then yeah. it's Robert Llewellyn. Robert Llewellyn shouldn't be there. He's not in this universe. Yeah. This was an odd thing in the first place, which I think about, because if you're looking at what has been produced of Red Dwarf so far, first five series, and going, okay, well, let's remake this. You go, okay, Crichton's a great character. We want to bring him from the beginning. Fair enough, okay. But then they go back to that beginning where the whole accident happens, uh, Lister Mm -hmm. is in stasis, etc., the cat and all that. But that means the cat is the cat. He's not become the sort of integrated part that he once was. And they they go right back. The the way the guy plays it is right back to that original Mm cat-like cat. So they, all these changes that they've already made, some of them are kind of involved, some of them aren't. It's a bit of a, a hodgepodge of things. And yeah, like I say, Robert Llewellyn was taken on, and nobody seems to know why, because it was a pain. They had to get him a work permit and a visa and all oh, this. Really? Like, for, like it would have been easier just to cast someone with Crichton. Yeah. So I, I might be able to make an argument that they were allowed to bring their own costume and stuff, and, and uh, huh. so it was easier to bring that. But look at the costume. Look at the makeup on his face. That is not as good. I, I will give him some... This is a pilot. Maybe if they'd done yeah, a series, sure. it would have been better. But it looks pretty shoddy. It looks very cheap. Uh, so that's not even it. Although I do believe the makeup team went over there to do it with him. Okay. Or at least the head of the makeup. You know, they didn't just kind of do their own thing. All right. Okay. So things like that. It's some odd decisions, and no, and Robert Llewellyn sort of turned them down a couple of times, and but they kept just offering him more money. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't begrudge him it. Like you know, fair play to him. 
And he was worried about, you know, tying himself up into a long-term contract. And he was worried about the impact it would have on the others. And so there was this whole thing where they were filming in Britain and they were like, oh, don't tell anyone because we don't want it to cause eruptions. Are you sure like it's that. not It's not that the people in Hollywood just thought he was Canadian? <laughs> no, no. Because like I said, they had to get all the paperwork done. So they, they must have realised eventually. <laughs> but, 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 but joking aside, I would imagine that a Hollywood executive watching Red Dwarf would say, I don't understand what that little fella saying (laughs) yeah perhaps perhaps yeah also and i don't know if this is me just projecting but one of the things we said about red dwarf is that it has a multicultural cast Mm. red dwarf usa does not not particularly no the cat is black cat cat was black and yeah i'm sorry i'm mixing up cat the cat was black but yeah it's interesting that the the lead character lister in red dwarf in the uk is black which was Mm. noteworthy in the late 80s. Yeah, but it's not relevant in the script in any way. Not so at all, not, not a casting, at all. It's not a casting element, and uh, I guess that's just the way it goes, isn't it? There is. There was always an argument that the cat was supposed to be black. He's a black cat, and then, the, and then that plays into this kind of idea of his the styling of it, and mm. that was one of the reasons why they were a bit concerned about it in writing. And I think... Yeah, in our very first about. episode, I said that the you know the writers went to Craig Charles as their kind of voice of the black youth and like is this racist? Yeah. <laughs> I want to correct that slightly. I believe it was Paul Jackson who was the connection to oh, Craig okay. Charles because Craig Charles was on Saturday Live, which uh, Paul Jackson was a producer mm-hmm. of. So yeah. he was the one who kind of knew him and said, "Look, they've written this character of Cat as black. Is it racist? We're a bit worried." <laughs> you're a voice yeah, of the youth yeah. and he said no but um, can I have a crack at this lister <laughs> and, uh-huh. and and then the rest of it is like no you're not an actor don't be stupid okay come <laughs> for an audition etc etc but anyway the the point being that that was always kind of written as a cool black guy you know that kind of yeah. hip and fashionable kind of vibe which I, I get it it works with the cat that kind of idea the bit of a stereotype but it's okay and so they bring in uh, another guy in America uh, by the name of Hinton Battle Mm-hmm. Great name, by the way. Great name. <laughs> and this guy was a musical theatre star of some renown. Uh, so see. they kind of kept the idea of Danny Don Jules, a musical theatre actor. He, that movement that, that you need mm-hmm. for the cat, that expressiveness with the body, uh, they'd obviously gone with that. Much to the Danny John Jules delight, because Hinton Battle was a, a quite a famous actor in the musical theatre world that he was part of. Uh-huh. So the idea of being replaced by someone who's a bad oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's have a talk about the rest of the cast then. Uh, you mentioned Jane Leaves plays the computer Holly. Yeah. Um, they went for a female Holly straight away. Uh, yeah. Jane Leaves, who later, not very long after this, was in Frasier as Daphne. And I, was, I, I assumed it was before Frasier because yeah. they do this pilot season, don't they? they also, yeah, so I exactly. dare say she was in the, the Frasier pilot as well. Yeah, yeah, which would have been maybe the year after this. It wasn't, can't have been very long uh, after. Mm. Uh, so she went on to be quite famous. And we have Craig Bierko as Lister. Mm. And this seems to be a big point of uh, contention for British viewers. <laughs> the guy who's played Lister looks like a Hollywood actor, looks like a very handsome, chisel jawed kind of six foot yeah. two guy. And there's a lot of truth to that. But he, I think, I actually think, watch, just overall, watching this first US pilot, I think it's not that bad. Uh, I, it's I agree. sort of got a very bad reputation, but it's okay. I would go along with that. Yeah. The problem is they're hitting a lot of the same beats of, of the British one. You know, it's, it's not quite a shot for shot remake when Crichton's there, yeah. but, but you know, they're doing a lot of the same material. And so it's, you're, you're comparing it. It's not, it's not as good. It's not the same. Yeah. 
but it's not terrible. I think it's all right. And I, and Craig Birko, I think his performance is actually pretty good. I like him as the as the Lister character. It's not quite the Lister we know. Mm. And I don't know if it's perfect casting. I think you want to get someone who is a bit more, yeah, slobby, let's say. That's a bit, he's a bit too handsome and space hero-y, which is kind of Lister's not supposed to be that, you know, so. Well, I think, if I may, my casting problem was more about the Rimmer character than the Lister oh, character. The, yeah. I don't think that's even casting. The Rimmer doesn't get a chance to do anything. Mm. I don't want to blame the actor for it because okay. in the opening bit, because we're spending so much more time setting up Crichton, we lose yeah. a lot of the Rimmer connections. So then later on when Rimmer is brought back to life as a hologram and it's like, oh my God, it's Rimmer. I can't believe it. We're like, who's Rimmer? Like, who do yeah. we care? We didn't get all the chicken soup machine stuff. Yeah. yeah. On. And the conflict between them. And we even have another character who is set up to show you, oh, look, this is what a hologram is. And he's a different officer and he's a hologram. But that happens in the British one. Yeah, but the whole point of that is to set up what a hologram is, right? Yeah. The problem is that I couldn't tell you the, the difference between that guy and the guy who's playing Rimmer. So when you see yeah. Rimmer later on, you're going, oh, that's the guy who was the, a hologram, hologram earlier. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. This is First Officer Munson. He's dead. But it's not the career setback it used to be. <laughs> This Munson is a hologram. He's exactly the same as when he was alive, except since he's a projection, he can't touch anything except himself. So basically, my sex life is unchanged. <laughs> they, because they, they just look like these two generic white guys who, you know, look yeah, the agreed. same. And agreed. because we haven't established Rimmer as a significant character, I think the other guy might even have more lines than Rimmer in that opening fifteen minutes because <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he's interacting with the captain and stuff and he's sort of like chatting away. Mm. So in that sense, it's the Rimmer thing is completely flubbed. It's, it's just badly yeah. done. And that is such an important part of the show that that means it's missing something. We also, there's also a lot more Kachansky set up. It feels like that's being set up so that she'll be a character. Yes, it does. Doesn't it? Also a problem being that the Kachansky character is quite different and you, you, you can't see, you don't see why they would be connecting at all. They, they, mm. they feel like they don't connect. They, there's yeah. no chemistry there at all yeah. in the characters. You know. Is that the problem? By being a nice guy? Because, you know, uh, I can change. You know, hey, whatever. No, that's the problem. Hey, you know, whatever. Everything with you is up in the air. You spend your whole life just drifting and avoiding responsibility. I can't be in a relationship like that. Wait a minute. I think I know what kind of commitment you're talking about here. You want me to make you my official girlfriend. My God, Chris, you know something? I think I'm ready to take that leap. Bye, Dave. Don't call. Although, I, like we said, we talked about this in our uh, our episode. I feel like the way that Kachansky was written and the way that it was ended up being portrayed by Claire Grogan were quite different. Yeah. But it, it was necessary to fit with the lister they had. I get you. And maybe they tried to do that. Which she's much more feels like she, oh, she's an officer and he's beneath her and all this sort of stuff. And One more question on the casting, on the, on, on the lister actor. Is he, is he yeah. doing an accent? I know he's American, but I wondered if he was, there's a couple of times where he sounded like he was doing like a Fargo style Minnesota accent. <laughs> and I wondered if that was their equivalent of a Scouse accent. <laughs> I hadn't noticed but that if myself. He, if I he is, it's so. not strong. And I, and I think maybe I, I'm, I just cr created it from a speech mannerism, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is just supposed to be like, oh, to give us a bit of a working schlub kind of maybe. voice. And he's kind of like, so he's doing like, hey, I'm just a working guy. Hey. <laughs> Uh, but there's there's a bit of story to it all um, in terms of getting it made. Uh, that 
that no, um, Grant, Grant and Naylor went over there uh, to be involved in the writing process. Obviously, they took their script. And there's a big writer's room, and there's loads of people just adding bits in. Oh, add, adding one-liners, adding and one-liners in. And they did a cast read-through. And the general vibe was it wasn't anything special, uh, but the executives were guffawing, so uh, everyone just said, yes, everything's okay, we're all okay. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor kind of hit panic mode and said, look, we can fix this here's the problems and we can fix them we'll rewrite it overnight we're we're used to doing last minute scripts they go away rewrite it bring it to the producer like still with the bulk of it there but they've they fixed some elements yeah and the producer's like nah nah we can't do this it's too late we're all going ahead like they're filming that day you know and they managed to get it to the cast and the cast the cast were all like this is a bit crap in it well it's pilot season what are you gonna do right they managed to get this other script to the cast and the cast are like this is a lot better let's do this one they kind of battled for it yeah. but obviously the cast have no real power and so they kind of said yes we'll do this new script but then it's like oh we can't do this scene because we'd need this and we haven't got time to sort this out etc mm-hmm. etc and so it ended up being what we see is a sort of mishmash of this right. mess of scripts and, okay, and, it, and you know things like Rimmer just gets lost in the mix that's just inexcusable really but then there's bits like Crichton's setup is really nice I like the way Crichton and Lister become friends straight away and mm-hmm. they interact a lot I think that all works really nicely the, what we get of the cat is quite minimal but also equivalent to what we see in yeah, of yeah, the cat true. in the first that's one true. so that's that's all right i like where, where after lister comes out of stasis and everyone's dead dave and he goes and finds Crichton, who is on the ship in this version and he's been just sat there his, his detached head has been sat there for three million years Crichton, <laughs> where's the rest of you oh over there they hadn't finished my repairs before the accident you've been stuck here for three million years what have you been doing well, I've been reading that fire exit sign over there. <laughs> it's, uh, it's given me a lot of solace over the years. <laughs> and I think that the other problem is, you know, this was going to be shorter than a BBC half hour. So you have to cut stuff out. I think yeah. what I really like about that first episode of Red Dwarf is that it feels long. It feels like so much happens. And you can have that period of... Lister walking around, everybody's dead, Dave. Oh, mm. what's going on here? Everybody's dead, Dave. It really yeah, kind of draws that out. Sense. And you can't, you haven't got the time to do that yeah. uh, in, in a reduced version. So things like that that just don't quite work as well. And, you know, it's, but I, I yeah, honestly, like it, it has a bit of a bad reputation in on the, on the dwarf fans, but, um, mm. it's not that bad. You can, you can yeah. believe that they could have turned that into something that would have worked. So then you sent me this second pilot. And I, I need some explanation here because mm. it's got Jane Leaves in it as well. And that, I think it was using some of the same footage. It looked mm. like it had been assembled from some of the bits and pieces with some new material. So tell me the story about this. Yeah, it's sort of... And it even, it even involves some material from the British show that they just kind of, mm. you know, model that, yeah. work and stuff that they yeah. used and, and just to kind of demonstrate. So this was never intended for broadcast. It wouldn't have had the legal rights and all that. The idea of this was they'd done the pilot for a dwarf. It hadn't really gone that well, but maybe we can still flog it to someone, look it to other networks. So this is almost like a sizzle reel, you know, it's like, Okay, let's just throw a few scenes together. Look, this is the sort of potential of things that could happen. And so it really feels like a kind of clips from other episodes kind of thing. I mean, literally, that's what it is. Mm. Some of the cast had gone on to do other things. So they recast the cat. We get Terry Farrell as the cat. Um, Terry Farrell, best known for Deep Space Nine, I think, for for my money. Uh, Although she does, she's done a bit of sitcom stuff. She's in that sitcom with Ted Danson. Yeah, he played a grumpy doctor, didn't he? Yeah, 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 she's in that, yeah, yeah. That's American sitcom history, I'm not interested. Yeah, not interested. 
But so she comes in, and what I like about this is they've basically gone, okay, if we make the cat female. Like, what what can we do? Like, well, let's do this a different character. And I really like it. The little bit that we see of her, she's yeah. cat like, but in a different way. She's like, oh right, yeah, come on, spiky. let's go and fight everything. Yeah, yeah. You gotta understand something. I'm not like you. I don't have nine lines. <laughs> okay. You stay here and suck your thumb, and I'll go and rip off its head, spit down its throat, and turn its lower intestines into balloon animals. And I quite like that. Let's do something a bit different, but that still makes sense. But yeah, and then there's just sort of, there's a new Rimmer, and they obviously go to a lot more to establish that relationship between... Mm Uh, yeah. And this Rimmer I really like. I think there's there's a lot more going on here. And I think he's got that real Rimmer energy. Yeah. So I, I liked him quite a lot. Uh, and, and yeah, so there's a little clip from Marooned. Michelle Fisher. Ninth hole of Detroit Royal Vista Golf Course, par four, dog leg to the right, the sand trap behind the green. <laughs> golf course? You, you, how old were you? Twelve. Twelve? Twelve years old when you lost your virginity you were 12 yeah 12 well you can't have been a full member of the golf club then no you did it on a golf course and you weren't even a member so you didn't pay any green fees or anything memory was just a place to go you know i used to play golf i hate people who abuse the facilities so there's a direct comparison there which Mm. I think he does all right with that. Like, it's not fair to do like for like comparison, but yeah, it, I think that's okay. There's a couple of um, in that marooned section. He does the pot noodle joke. Oh, we know what'll get, be getting eaten last. I hate pot noodles. They do a version of that joke, and then there's another at the very start of it. They they do the they're watching the Flintstones. I would go with Betty, but I'd be thinking of one where Lister does the oh she'll never leave Fred, and I know it. There are a couple of punchlines where the timing fell off. And I don't know if it's just a different sensibility, like American, it needs to be all a bit quicker. But yeah. it felt like, just just let that breathe before you hit the punchline. It just, just felt rushed. You ever see the Flintstones? Sure. You think Wilma's sexy? <laughs> Wilma Flintstone? Well, maybe I've been in deep space too long, but... Every time I see her, she drives me crazy. <laughs> How do you feel about Betty Rubble? Betty, oh, uh, I tell you, I'd go with Betty, but I'd be thinking of Wilma. Do you have any conception of how crazy you sound? You're talking about going to bed with Wilma Flintstone. Yeah, you're right. It's nuts. She'll never leave Fred. I know it. And again, it might be unfair because I'm making a direct comparison here, but just where it is a straight up joke. Set up punchline. I didn't like it. It didn't seem to work. I thought yeah. the timing was off. No, I know what you mean. I think that is a cultural difference. And I think if mm. you watch those early Red Dwarf, particularly the first couple of series, we've talked about how kind of unusual it is and the rhythm of it and, and how good Craig Charles is with rhythm. I mean, he's a mm. poet. And a poet, we've yeah. talked about, we've talked about how his delivery is just so beautiful. And I think there's a lot to be said for that and how much the writers wrote to those actors. There is a, a a synergy there that if you just get another actor to do it, it's not going to have quite the same vibe. Mm. 
Especially when we know and love the original and we're comparing it. Yeah, I think that's true. The, the direct comparison is perhaps unfair when you're trying to be objective. That's the story of it, really. That second one was a sort of a, a second attempt to try and just spark a bit of interest. Made for next to no money, you know, which is why it's literally yeah. they've got two actors sat in a room and here's the script from Marooned. We've just printed it out. Read it. Mm. You know, it's not like they've rewritten it or anything. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the odd little word change to make it American, you know, that's that's it. Cup noodle uh, instead of pot noodle, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas the the actual full-blown pilot, you know, it's got all the sets and everything. They've rewritten it quite considerably, you know. But it died a death. It never got made. And um, only resurfaced because of the, the kind of the general interest in Red Dwarf. It's, um, yeah. the, the, the versions that are out there are very low-quality versions. Interestingly, on the DVD extras where they talk about it, considerably they show clips and those clips are full quality. So someone, somewhere, got the American studio to send them the, the full quality thing. Okay. But that has not been, like, commonly publicly Well, the available. version on YouTube, and we'll put links to this in, on our social media, the, the, the version on YouTube, the quality comes in and out, and, mm. and that must be why. They'll have stitched in the bits from the DVD, won't they? There's a few different copies on YouTube, as people put it, but I think the one I sent to you to watch is Red Dwarf Nerd, I think he's called, mm. and he mm. does all sorts of Red Dwarf material. It's very interesting. But th- this particular version was a combination of every footage that's available, in- including the best quality footage. So he managed to very yeah. smoothly edit it through so that the the good quality footage was there and then it would kind of phase back into the slightly sloppy yeah. VHS footage. But uh, yeah, that seems to be the best option out there to watch. Yeah, we will put links on our social media so that our listeners can go and watch those. It's probably it's definitely worth a look. But it never took off then. So have there been any more recent attempts to break America? Not in that way. And let's let's be fair, like the the recent Red Dwarf stuff that they've been doing, like the last sort of seven, six or seven years, we've been doing all these new series and stuff. I haven't watched any of them. And I I kind of didn't watch them at the time because even though I love Red Dwarf, I was not inspired to watch them. And I've made a conscious choice now not to watch them until we come to them on our series. Sure, we'll we'll, we'll be (laughs) pleased by them uh, when we reach. Uh, Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to watching all them in the future. But I know throughout the 90s there was this plan to do a feature film version, and then there was a as we'll come on to it later on in series seven, there was a very deliberate attempt to expand the production quality of it and make it more filmic. And during all this period, they were also, they were trying to sell it to America. So they were dropping the odd American reference in. Like in, uh, in the last day in series three, there's a Marilyn Monroe bot, you know, like yes. there's like things like that. American cultural artifacts, you know, rather than yeah. British ones. And they were, they were trying to, um, drop in things like that to sell the show to America. Mm-hmm. And obviously it never quite worked, but Red Dwarf is one of those shows that, American people are like, oh, I love British comedy. Yeah. It's like Red Dwarf and The Office are these ones that really took off over there. Yeah, on, they've got that cult following. On the public broadcasting service and stuff. And and yeah, so that's why Red Dwarf has a real international cult following, not just in Britain. This is another thing to address in terms of the American take on it. There's a lot of class structure elements in yeah. Red Dwarf, you know, the officer class and the scum, yeah. <laughs> the scummy, uh, you know, low down uh, service operator, uh, and and the and the conflict there of Rimmer being officer class but not officer material, sure. Lister being smart but never having been told he should use it, all that sort of yeah. stuff, Crichton being a servant uh, and, and and stuff like that. How does that translate in America? <sighs> We say America doesn't have a class system, they don't, but they have a hierarchical system. Sure. It's just primarily 
capitalism based. Financial, yeah. You know, it's not that exactly. different to Britain. And a real race element to America that mm. they could have played mm. with if they if they wanted to address that. If you were gonna make your slobby guy the, the black guy and the officer class the white guy, you know, you could do you could in a way that Red Dwarf doesn't just kind of ignores really, but you could you could use that if you wanted to. Yeah, well we've talked before about American remakes. And how it is a different beast. It's a different market. It's a different structure with the longer series. It's not fair to say, oh, they've ruined it. Oh, they've made it different. It is different. You have to make it yeah. different. If people wanted the same thing, they can watch the British version. And like you say, it has a little bit of success over there on PBS. But if you're going to make something that's a network show, it has to, be, it has to fit their mould. Mm. And we always look at them and go, they're crap. Uh, but that's a cultural difference as well as anything. And there, we've seen the ones like Sanford and Son that went on for years and years and yeah. years and were huge successes. And still like look at those and think, yeah, they're not that good. But they've got to kind of make them their own. And you've got to translate those characters somewhat. And I think Red Dwarf is one of those things that could translate. You just They just need to... Perhaps they were trying to be too close to the original or they're not enough or, or what. I, th- I think it's too close. I think, like I said, with that pilot, it's not quite shot for shot, but... Some of them are line for line, some of the scenes. I don't know. The concept is great, but I think if it's an American ship, I don't know if it's an international ship, but you know what I mean, mm. rather than a British ship, it's going to be different. I think perhaps taking the concept and writing something original might be a better way to go if, if you want to break mm. America. And, and you know, that in terms of that American system being different as well, like Chris Barry was courted to go and try and play Rimmer in it. I think that was for the second take on it. You know, they were just mm. like, let's get Rimmer, uh, Rimmer in and we can just know that bit safe and let's mm. make that work. And he didn't do it because it was they weren't like, oh, come on over and do this pilot. We'll pay you this much to do it. It was like, I'll come over and do this pilot uh, and, and sign this contract that signs you in for six, six years, years. Yeah. Uh, for 30 episodes a year. And he was like, no, I'm not doing that. The thing is, if it is a success and runs for six series, then you're going to make a lot of money out of it if, if, yeah. you're, if you've got a successful show in America. So I, I guess it's worth it for that. But yeah, it's a difficult thing to sign, isn't it? When you yeah. just... You want to go and live in America for six years. And like Robert Llewellyn went over, made the pilot and nothing ever came of it. But they got, he got paid a nice big chunk of cash to do it. Oh, and yeah. It's an experience. So, uh, you know, that's, that's worked out all right, isn't it? Yeah. But if you then get picked up and you've got to move move your entire family to Los Angeles. And that was the other thing, yeah. And Robert Llewellyn was like, that means I would have to leave the British show as well. Yeah. Uh, so it was like, sure. it wasn't something he wanted yeah. to do particularly, but they threw enough money at him. They was like, okay, well, I'll go and do it. Uh-huh. And like I say, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor were going over there to be involved in it. So I'm sure they sort of said, just do it, you know. Well, I enjoyed I enjoyed watching those versions. I think it's really interesting to see the differences and the similarities. Mm. If you haven't already, to our listeners, you know, look at the links that we'll put on our social media and go and give them a, go and give them a watch. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BritComPod, or we're also on Facebook, British Sitcom History Podcast. You just stick that in the search bar, you'll find us. This episode is also going up on YouTube with video clips. I'll put a few clips in from yeah, that. Great the pilot that I've got a hold of and I'll put a link into where I actually nicked it from the bloke who uploaded it on YouTube because it's not just the kind of I did I did sort of nick it really because it's not just like oh look this is the the video that's leaked this is someone who's gone to the edit of uh, gone to the effort of editing things together and making it as sort of look as nice as it can so uh, like I think he is called Red Dwarf Nerd I think that's the the name of his YouTube channel but I'll put the link I'll put the link in the description as well just so, to make sure we, we we send people his way since I've nicked yeah, it yeah absolutely great well thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll be back soon with a new series of full sitcom reviews watch this space bye bye bye